If you're joining us by, uh, in any other way, um, our live stream, if you'd like to invite others, is available at 1888msc.org. That's 1888msc.org, stands for Message Study Committee. And uh, if you're live streaming this, you're doing that already, but if you'd like to invite others, which we'd encourage you to do, that is the website, 1888msc.org. We also have a bookstore set up here in the lobby at the Battle Creek Tabernacle, and that will be open this afternoon. So we'd encourage you to avail yourselves of all these materials. Three days together is a huge blessing, but we want to spend our time as Christians studying on these messages that God has sent us um, to draw us out towards him and make us ministers to those around us. So the bookstore will be open this afternoon uh, from 1 to 7 p.m. I'd like to introduce our presenter for this morning, um, someone I know very, very well, Pastor Bill Brace. He is a pastor from the New England area, um, where I'm from, recently retired after 40 years of ministry uh, there in New England. Um, he was active in media ministry, had a radio program called Portraits of God uh, that was on uh, every week. He um, is very, very involved in Christian education over the years, fundraising, and he, he's as in his retirement, besides running around speaking, doing evangelistic series, which he did here um, a few months ago, um, he has a foundation called the Ken and Mabel Brace Foundation, which was named after his parents, and uh, Bill's an avid fundraiser for Christian education. He uses that foundation to assist different schools with different projects they have to allow students uh, to have a Christian education, allow schools that um, do have programs to, to broaden those uh, programs that they have. Um, he was always a mentor to me, and I just asked him this morning if he remembered what he was doing 26 years ago today. And uh, he has not lost anything in terms of memory. He's got the memory of an elephant. And he said, ah, oh, 26 years ago today, that was the day before my anniversary. Uh, Pastor Brace was the minister who married my wife and I, and that was 27, 26 years ago tomorrow. Uh, but today was our rehearsal, those kinds of things. So, um, so Bill, we want to welcome you to our ATM Message Study Conference. And the title of Pastor Brace's presentation is Agape, the Incarnation. Before Bill pr prays and presents this morning, we'd like to thank our friend Buddy Hotelling, Dr. Hotelling, for giving us a very special music this morning. became a man locked in time and space without rank or place love was God born of Jewish kin just a carpenter with some fishermen Love was when Jesus walked in history Lovingly he brought A new life that's free 
love was God Nailed to bleed and die To reach and love one such as I So I'll start over again. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. <laughs> it's good to be here. And as I mentioned uh, from last fall, I still feel like I'm in the UP here in Michigan, the Upper Peninsula, because I'm so far removed from uh, the church members. I think some of you know that I like to be down as close as I can to my audience or congregation. So. But anyway, it's, it's wonderful to be here at this very, very important time of Earth's history and to be part of this several days now of spiritual meetings, focusing upon the thought that we are at the midnight hour. And God has a message, does he not? God has a message for his remnant church at this particular time of Earth's history. I'd like to pray. Can we bow our heads? Father in heaven, I pray this morning that my words may be full of spirit and full of life in Jesus name amen many decades ago it was common for homiletics teachers those who taught prospective teacher uh, preachers how to preach it was it was common for them to say now when you preach you tell the people what you're going to say, you say it, and then you tell them what you said. And I don't know how many of us followed that, that, that advice, but I don't know either whether the homiletics teachers today have that same philosophy. But as I start this morning, I'm going to share with you what I'm going to talk about on these three presentations. And it it is predicated upon a statement that comes from a book called Ministry of Healing, page 470. And this is what it says, a very short, simple statement. 
the strongest argument. What kind of an argument? The strongest argument in favor of the gospel. And what we are trying to share these few days together, these days together, is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. What's the strongest argument in favor of the gospel? Now, you may, you may know this statement, so you've got a ready answer for me, but perhaps you don't. But the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. That's the theme of my three presentations. That's the final product. And what I'm going to share with you is predicated upon that particular statement. I want to repeat it. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. And if the gospel that I represent and other speakers represent is not producing that kind of person, then somehow we are failing. And so it is my objective to be as practical as I can be. And I'm glad that some of the other uh, seminars are involved in the practice of this message of Christ our righteousness. It's very, very important. And so today I'm going to speak about, in a roundabout way, I'm going to speak about the incarnation of Jesus. Because we're also told by little lady that the humanity of Jesus is what? Is everything to us. So that will be my focus, but it will be overall in terms of that wonderful love we hear a lot about called agape. And so I'm going to invite you to follow along, and I hope that you bless your hearts. I just realized a few minutes ago that if anybody is listening to this in California, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. My goodness gracious. Someone like that should have a blessing like, may your tribe be increased or something of that nature. Can you imagine? But anyway, I'm glad that you are here this morning at this early hour. And I hope that we can learn some things about agape that perhaps, if we've heard them before, they're refreshed in your mind and in your heart, but maybe you have not heard these, this particular slant before. So I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible or your gizmo, you can, you can stoke it up. And we're going to turn to the second chapter of the book of Genesis because... In order to understand the, 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 the humanity of Jesus, we need to understand how human beings came into play or into existence in the first place. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look here at the creation of the first human being. Perhaps, I guess we could say, the first human being, not only here on planet Earth, but in the entire universe. Before I actually read verse 7, I have a couple of questions for you. What do you think was the most important in the creation of Adam? Was it his body? Or was it the breath of God that was breathed into him? 
Now that answer, by the way, can be fulfilled in something that is said in the book of Revelation that I will get into later on this week. So unwittingly, we have placed values on certain things that had to do with the creation of Adam himself. Now, I want to share with you too that the creation of Adam, the verse we're going to read here that you're familiar with, no doubt, verse 7, has tremendous, tremendous significance more than just our, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, utilizing it as a text to prove what happens when you die. It's interesting that our first text that we talk about when what happens when you die is we talk about something that brought life into existence. But I would suggest to you that this particular text has tremendous implications for the message of the entire Bible. So let's read it together. And I'm, I'm reading from the New King James. Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became in the New King James, a living being. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, as I'm reading that, you no doubt are in your mind reenacting that scene. And so, in light of that, what I'm going to ask you now to do is to use your sanctified imagination. That all right? You've got a sanctified imagination if you're a Christian. So let's picture God bringing Adam into existence. And then I think it would be fair to say that, that God stepped back with admiration and satisfaction for what he had just done. Is it all right that God has satisfaction? That he admires his work? We know, according to the Hebrew, that he was like an, uh, an accomplished artist. He was, he, he, he was artistic in what he performed. He was like a, an accomplished carpenter who builds a house and then stands back and admires what he has done. But before God, and we know the acting agent in creation, according to the author of Hebrews chapter 1, that that was none other than Jesus Christ. But before God steps back, after he has created this first human being in the universe, he does something that perhaps astounds the onlooking angels. Because what God is doing is being witnessed by billions and billions of eyeballs. Billions of beings that he has already created are watching as he creates Adam. 
And to their, perhaps, their astonishment, they see him kneel down. Because he has to breathe into his nostrils, they see him bend over and breathe into the nostrils of Adam. The angels are aware that prior to this, and while he's doing it, that a war is going on. A war that really involves the entire universe. And at that particular moment, there is the God of heaven, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, kneeling. But let me share with you this morning that kneeling is not unusual for God. Because in all of eternity, God has been kneeling. Because you see, agape, that unselfish, other-centered kind of love, always, always, always goes downward. It never seeks to go up, but only seeks to go down. And so, perhaps to the astonishment of all the other created beings, there is God kneeling and forming out of the dirt this individual who is going to be the first human being. Fast forward 4,000 years. The Son of God, the Son of God is within hours of being crucified. And what is he doing prior to that momentous, earth-shattering event? He is in an upper room with his disciples. And what is he doing? He's kneeling and washing their feet. Wow. Before, just hours before this stupendous event, we see the God the God of the universe, the Son of God, kneeling and washing the feet of 12 other individuals. Why? Because it demonstrates that agape always goes downward, not just literally or physically, but figuratively as well. And the great God of the universe, the Godhead, are all about servanthood and serving. And so when the Son of God, the acting agent, stands back with satisfaction and admiration for what he has just brought into existence, it's the very reflection of his character, 
I, I, I find it interesting that in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7 that the author of Hebrews tells us that man was created a little lower than the angels. It also tells us in verse 9 of that same chapter that when the Son of Man comes, Jesus Christ, that he too was made a little lower than the angels. Why? Why is man made lower than the angels? I don't know if you've ever contemplated that or not. Why? Well, God had a purpose in all of that. He wanted us to see just how low he bends. In the revelation of his character. God is all about going downward. He is other-centered. You know, I, I confess to some people, and I guess it's going to be you as well, that I am a slow, slow learner. In fact, I'm sure God at times says, that Bill Brace is so slow, he should go back to kindergarten. But, you know, kindergarten's a good place to be. It's where we all should be. I remember somebody that many of you know, who's resting in Christ now, who used to say, look, as far as understanding of this message of Christ our righteousness, I'm still in kindergarten. It's a good place to be. I never went to kindergarten. That's why probably I never learned my colors. I, I, there was no kindergarten when I was a kid. And I, I, you know, like today, I had to work and see, well, do my clothes match? Do my, I, I don't know. <laughs> but kindergarten's a good place to be, isn't it? When it comes to knowing or at least realizing that we have so much more to learn. That's why we're going to be going to school for eternity, is it not, in heaven? We're going to be going to school for eternity because there's so much God has to share with us. And so when God or when Jesus stands there with satisfaction of what he has just created, he and the two other beings in the Godhead are the only ones who know that a descendant of the one he's just created is going to come and take on human flesh to save not only the world, but to safeguard the universe. What a God. What a God. You know, when I was here last fall doing an evangelistic series, I guess I got used to saying the word wow. And so with a few people, I became known as Pastor Wow. But the fact is, I, I'm just overwhelmed. That's why, in a sense, I am just as much impressed with the incarnation as I am with the cross. Because, you see, the cross is in the incarnation, is it not? The cross, the theme of the cross is in the incarnation. And I, I just, I, I get tears in my eyes when I think about the incarnation story. Because the cross is in it. It's all about agape. It's all about going down. It's all about other-centeredness. And the Ten Commandments, it was just in the past. Can I confess to you? You wouldn't tell this to anybody else, right? Correct? 
I, my secret's going to be secret with you. I, I, it took me until about six months ago to realize that the Ten Commandments are all other-centered. <laughs> That's why um, E.J. Wagner in his commentary in the book of Romans could say, the life of the law is the life of God. The life of the law is the life of God. Agape is other-centeredness. The Ten Commandments are other-centered. The ultimate other and all the others that we intersect with every day of our lives. So, it's interesting. Uh, Dr. Hunziker uh, mentioned in his introduction that I had a radio program. He had the radio program. We were, we were co-hosts of this radio program in Boston for, I think, about a dozen years, wasn't it, Bob? Um, and we were on a few other stations around the country. But um, the name of the program was Portraits of God. I think your wife may have suggested that, if I'm not mistaken, or whatever. But anyway, we dialogued about the character of God and its issues from Scripture, etc., etc. And it's interesting that whenever we talked about the humility of God, I would invariably get a response, either a telephone call from somebody or uh, a note, etc., um, saying, humble God? Well, now, humble Jesus, yes, but humble God? Wow, they thought it was blasphemous because they, they loved the God of, that could create and destroy. But a God who was humble? Very uncomfortable with that. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the what? You know that text. You've seen the Father. So let's take a, a, a look at a couple of texts here that have to do with Jesus Christ. Go to, with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 40. We see a prophecy there. Psalm chapter 40. You have to say amen? Say it loudly so that people can hear you. Amen. Okay, you just woke some people up in California probably. All right. Psalm chapter 40. Here's what it says beginning in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. Now that particular prophecy of Jesus Christ is repeated in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And I would invite you to turn the pages of your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. 
And again, loudly, for the folk who are maybe just waking up, say amen, if you're there. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice in verse 5 and onward what it says. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Now, if you have got a sharp eye, you'll notice that that is pretty much word for word what we read in the book of Psalms. But if you're really, really awake this morning, you'll notice there is a slight difference. Did you catch it? It comes in verse 5 where it says, For a body you have prepared for me. So put your finger there. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 40. And notice there, I should have told you to keep your fingers in there, Psalm chapter 40. And notice what it says in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. In Hebrews it says, but a body you have prepared for me. Hmm. That's a bit of an interesting exception. Could it be similar? Well, that particular text in the Psalms, there are different opinions as to what that means, my ears you have opened. But many scholars have seen in it something that I see that I'm going to share with you this morning. And I think it is very important. I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 21. You have it? Say amen. So here is this wonderful story. And it tells us, beginning in verse 1, we read this narrative. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever." Can you imagine now some man who has had a wife given to him by the master, he has children, and uh, the master says, okay, it's time for you, your time is up, you're now 
free to leave. By the way, your wife and your children are staying with me. So the man needs to come to a decision. What does he do? We could imagine here that if he really loved his wife and his children, that it wouldn't take him more than a split second to make up his mind. No, I'm going to stay. And I'm going to be your servant forever and ever and ever as long as I live. And so they take him to the door, doorpost taken all, and pierce his ear, indicating that he is tied to the master as a servant for as long as he shall live. That's love. That's agape. That is agape. Have you ever stopped to wonder the context of this story? It follows Exodus chapter 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments. That is not a coincidence. That is not a coincidence. Because, as I said earlier, the Ten Commandments are all about other-centeredness. It's all about serving. As someone else has said, the Ten Commandments are a law of service. I was reading just earlier this morning in my devotions part of the last chapter of a book called Christ Object Lessons which has to do with the story of the virgins and the midnight hour. Interesting. And in that last chapter is a sentence that I thought very fascinating where she writes, practical work will have a much greater effect than mere sermonizing at the midnight hour. Interesting. If we do believe that we're at the midnight hour, and it would be hard not to think that, right, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian with what's going on in the world today. But friends, Jesus is not coming, as Mervyn Maxwell Seminary used to say, because there haven't been enough tornadoes or enough fires or enough hurricanes. He's not coming because... There's a virus around the world and social unrest. He's coming because his bride is ready to meet him. Because his bride is fully, totally converted and sees nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus in people. In people. It's interesting that the great God of the universe has taken on humanity forever, identified himself with the human race forever and ever and ever, just like the servant who had the all put through his earlobe. So Jesus Christ has taken on humanity forever and ever. And he has taken on a humanity that is like our humanity except without sin. He took upon his sinless nature, our sinful nature. And you know, we sometimes get into arguments about the nature of Jesus. It's a great thing to argue, you know, in Sabbath school or something like that another time. 
when you're in a Bible study. Yes, Jesus had this nature. No, he had that nature. And in so doing, sometimes we forget the real essence of him taking on human nature. To save human nature. To identify with human nature. Jesus wasn't content just to identify with angels. He wanted more than anything else to go even lower. To identify himself with humanity. Because that is what God is all about. And all I can say is, wow, what a God. Wonder, O heavens, and be astonished, O earth. I asked you a little bit ago, which was more important, the body or the breath or spirit in the creation? And I hope your answer was, they're both equally important. For you see, I have this, this belief that I'm still trying to plumb deeper and deeper that the creation of Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, has its counterpart, has its counterpart, you know where? In Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here are they that what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'll plumb that a little bit more tomorrow. So I hope you'll come back to hear part two. But friends, the condescension of God to serve us, to be with us, to identify with us forever and ever and ever is what this message is intended to proclaim so that we can be filled with the mind of Christ so that our thoughts are his thoughts his thoughts are our thoughts and that we become as one one of my favorite authors is a man named Dr. Karsten Johnson by the way he was one of Fred Bischoff's favorite authors as well we would talk quite often about what we had learned from Dr. Karsten Johnson. If you haven't read any of his material, I guess the person to see these days is Rick, Ricky Kuhns. Kuhns, no, not Kuhns, Kearns. Anyway, um, and uh, he's written a book that I've never conquered called Man the Indivisible. I am going through it now for probably at least the fifth or sixth time. And part of the reason is because I haven't conquered it the first five or six times. But one of the statements he makes there is that when God created Adam, that he created a supreme marvel. And I do believe that the human race is unique in this universe. And God is wanting to use us as he did his son to vindicate his character especially in the closing hours of earth's history and he's given us a message that makes that possible 
and a reality. But in his book, the last paragraph or two in Man the Indivisible, he tells a little story, and it's a parable, about people who lived within a walled city. Big high wall. And uh, it kept the enemy at bay. The enemy couldn't penetrate that wall, couldn't get in to overrun them. And they felt very secure. And everybody went about their business. And then one day, after a number of years, they got into a big argument. And one group said, you know what? The outside of the wall means nothing to us. It may mean something to the enemy, but it means nothing to us. The outside of the wall. So I think, I think it would be good if we just did away with the outside of the wall. And then there, were, there was another group that said, no, 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 the outside of the wall is very important. It's the inside of the wall. That they're not, it's not doing anything for us in terms of the enemy. They're held at bay because of the outside of the wall. And so there they were arguing whether the inside of the wall was more important or the outside of the wall. And so let me share with you in conclusion that it is my belief that this message is not just to be verbalized, it is to be lived. It is to be lived in a practical manner. Because as someone has said, it's like an old cliche, but people would rather see a sermon any day than what? Than hear one. And my burden is that for me personally, I want to live this message of Christ our righteousness. I just don't want to preach it. I want to live it by God's grace and by God's power. When this pandemic was just rearing its ugly head and it looked like there was going to be some bit difficult times ahead, I told a few friends, by God's grace, I don't want to be the same person that comes out of this pandemic as went into it. And friends, God has given a wonderful message and he's looking for messengers. And you and I are messengers the way that we live our lives. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a what? Is a loving and lovable Christian. By God's grace, may that be our aspiration. Father in heaven, today we're humbled by what we learn about your great humility. But, friend, but Father, it draws us to you that you in your plan would become a man, the man, that you would lower yourself, humble yourself, and that you would go to the cross because you're other-centered and our eternity was more important than your own. Wow, what a God you are. May that motivate us 
to go as it were in our sphere in our finite sphere and be likewise in the name of our savior jesus christ amen